Okay, I guess we should do some introductions here. Uh, I'm Lonnie. Uh, I'm an exercise physiologist. I'm a nutrition professor, uh, and I've competed successfully in strength sports. Okay, that's it. Is this me? No, it's me now. Okay. Well, all right, go ahead. <laughs> all right, my name is Rob Fortress Fortney, um, journalist, strength athlete, um, history competing as a bodybuilder, um, as a powerlifter. Um, and again, writer, freelance, and journalist, and um, former editor at some popular muscle magazines, amongst them Muscle Mag International, P-Train Journal, and so forth, and there you go. Next. Oh, God, I can't even hope to compete with that. This is Charles Staley, and uh, I failed phys ed and English all the way through high school. Uh, <laughs> and also, I am the author of Muscle Logic and creator of Escalating Density Training, so I'll leave it at that. Um, this is Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the uh, the dark horse here uh, of the group. Uh, I'm actually uh, got a master's degree in art. Um, I'm a strength athlete. I guess if anything, my calling card's been bouncing back from catastrophic injuries and taking my body anywhere from 300 pounds sloppy to uh, you know 165 pound distance runner. Currently, I'm uh, competing in powerlifting 275 class, strongman, and Devlin Island Games. And I think it should be said that Phil is about to compete in a powerlifting meet within a couple of weeks and is going to be attempting a 700-pound deadlift. So that right there should uh, let people know that he's got some uh, credibility. Phil, I think, I think Phil is like a biological chameleon. <laughs> he's a psychological chameleon also, but uh, that's, another, that's for another show. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Take it away, Lonnie, or, or Phil. Well, I well, think yep. that's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to kind of tell everybody kind of what we're about, and uh, you guys can jump in here um, on the just major talking points, just kind of explain what we're doing here. Um, Iron Radio, it's a free-to-listener online audio library of edu- educational topics um, on nutrition and uh, training. Uh, it's webcast and teleconference. Uh, all that they're going to be downloaded on MP3 afterwards, so you can take them up anytime if you can't listen in and uh, take part. Um, we're all about listener interaction. You can you can come in prior and ask questions or during the event on the internet. Um, not this week, but every other week from here on out, we're going to have a new topic and a new guest every week. Um, kind of a PG-13 disclaimer. We're going to try and keep it fairly clean. We got to put the leash on the fortress and. <laughs> try, try and keep it a bit clean. We want to be able to have high school coaches and, and whatnot turn their athletes onto this and yeah. give people a place to go for quality information. Um, so, so what is it that's going to set our podcast apart from other podcasts? That's a good question. Yeah, it is. Well, well, I, I, think, I, I think the common thread is that everybody, everybody participating in this um, – is somebody who walks the walk and uh, at various degrees of, of uh, success. But, you know, all of us are people who are actually doing what we espouse. And, um, you know, this is not a show for, for, for you know, keyboard jockeys. This is, um, this is, you know, by and for people who are really in the gym plugging it out. So that's yeah. very important. You know, I'd like to add to that, too. Uh, uh, it's it's sort of consumer driven too, um, you know. I've always had this kind of penchant for being a, an anti guru in a way, and with the hundreds of podcasts out there, just ocean of podcasts and things like that. I think the idea, hopefully, is that we can give people some, you know. I almost hate to use the word educational. You know, horrible ideas of edutainment <laughs> come to mind, but you know, give people some good information and uh, and keep it kind of consumer-driven and, and not, you know, tainted with uh, advertising and, and innuendo and things like that. So that I think that, too. I think I think an element that can demonstrate what we're talking about here is if some people listen to the audio samples that are at the site about the experiments versus experience that Lonnie and I have done in the past, and I'm starting to record a few new ones anyway, they they kind of bridge that whole gap between the science and the hard-nosed stuff like that and, the, you know, the grunt and groan of actually being in the gym and that experience. And I, I think that's that's something that we bring to the table that 
not a lot of people do legitimately. I don't know. I think going back to that, we walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Um, we all know how much this would have helped us 10 or 20 years ago. God, <laughs> if, we, if we had something like this to turn to and hopefully lead us to not making as many stupid choices and mistakes as we have. I mean, It's true. People that try to reinvent the wheel, I mean, they can spin their wheels for – 10 years or more, you know, and sometimes if you just had some straight talk, it'd be like this mm-hmm. huge blessing, and and uh, I don't know, this is the kind of place where it's it's free, you know, just if, once people know about it, they can come listen. Yeah, well, I think getting rid of the, the rigidity of just the, you know, the, the typical or, you know, how it's been historically in the magazines as far as just presenting an article, you know, by a professional bodybuilder or so forth and having it so, um, you know, edited and repackaged or represented in such ways that just like like Lonnie's saying there, they they don't really get the the, the bare bones of what people really want to know. Really, sometimes. Um, you know what? I, I think a lot of the science journalism is like that too, where you'll crack open a magazine and they will talk for a whole page or several paragraphs about a single study or something like that, instead of kind of summarizing, uh, you know, a whole bunch of science and making sense out of it, making something applicable and usable right there, you know. So one article comes from multiple studies instead of many, many paragraphs coming from one lame little recent study, if that makes any sense. Oh, totally. Well, it's like, you know, the whole, I've always said that, um, you know, people always ask what the secret is of bodybuilding, what the secret is of all this type of thing. And I've always said, as most have, that there really is no secret. But if there is a secret, it's kind of within the margins, you know, it's it's between the sentences. It's it's the nuance between the you know the rules that you see presented in the books. That's that's where the magic happens, and and yeah. that can't even be tapped into um, by people, as Charles said, by people who don't don't walk the walk, the people who aren't going to the gym, people who aren't doing this stuff, you know, who aren't competing and aren't lifting, and you know that 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 can't be tapped into, and so oftentimes, it, with the state of how things are in the contemporary contemporary world of physique. Um, competition and so forth. A lot of these guys who have gone to the top really ha- themselves haven't tapped into that kind of, and, and that's not mean to suggest that, you know, they they aren't do their accolades and so forth for reaching that top. But I mean, it, it's 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 a different world now than it was, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. You know, there's such a chasm, isn't there, between uh, science and practice? It's I don't know if that's more. Uh, Vexing for scientists or coaches, uh, I, I don't know. But it's just I think of uh, the one thing that comes to mind to illustrate that is over at Penn State where you have uh, Professor Vladimir Zatsyorsky, who is such an such an uh, amazing um, researcher and uh, and author, and and then you have the, the the sports teams there doing hit hit training on machines, you know. And I always, that always struck me as an apt illustration of, of, of the, the, the just incredible gap between, between science and practice. And uh, uh, if, if that gap could ever be bridged, I think uh, we'd be so much better off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there was a famous article written in the, in the late 60s where it was called Chaos in the Brickyard. And it was about what happens when scientists keep creating individual studies, individual facts, you know, like bricks. And when nobody builds meaningful edifices out of those bricks, you're just left with this giant jumble of bricks. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that's the kind of thing. And you know what, Rob, what you were saying about uh, magazine stuff, too. I mean, the way that I've seen you rewrite articles and ghostwrite and all that kind of stuff, um, I think it would be disheartening to a lot of young listeners who would think, oh, my God, you know, is that the way – these guys really talk, or that's how they really think, and it's really guys like Rob rewriting it to make it sound like English, you know, and make yeah. sense out of it. But it, it's also the the total lack of, of reality. I mean, you could talk about a gap between science and practice, and that's very true. There's also this gap between the media and practice. You know, these. Uh, I, I think uh, I was a young guy looking at muscle magazines in the 80s, and you see these huge guys, and you know, then you turn to their workout regime, and it's 25 sets of back work or something and all isolation movements or you know what I mean yeah and and you know I think these readers are just left thinking wow I I should be doing that you know and then they waste 2 years of their life doing that kind of stuff instead of uh something that works yeah I was in the gym the other day and I was observing a young woman 
helping what she described as a newbie, a young guy who couldn't have been more than 18 or 19, saying that this was his first workout, and they had just gotten onto the, the workout floor, and the first thing she started showing him was a preacher preacher girl. So, and she was, and she was, she referred to him, to me, as a newbie, and that she was showing him the ropes. And when I said, "Oh, well, who taught you?" she said, "Oh, I learned from the best." I said, "Who was the best?" She goes, "My father owns the gym." So, anyway, there you go. <laughs> well, you know what? Though that's why we we can't be too hard on. Uh, science. I know there can be overload and everything, and, and everybody in this group is not going to be ripping on science, of course. But is <laughs> that that's the that's kind of the concern with some of that stuff is that you know you can be you can have tons and tons of experience in something, uh, but you could have been doing something wrong for twenty years. You know, Absolutely. dear old dad, God love him, right? But maybe he's doing something wrong. So you have to be able to synthesize some stuff from the literature as well to guide you know your practice. Who are you saying that? Sorry, who? Lonnie? Who who what? You say you said God bless him or whatever. Who was doing something wrong? Oh, the dad that you were talking about. You know, oh, oh my dad, yeah. you know, I learned yeah. from the best, right? Well, no, well, well, well I, I want to say something for to when you said that, like just that I mean, we all do things wrong. I mean, you know, we all between collectively between us all, we have, you know, over 100 years of experience. But the fact remains that I don't think any one of us could say at least pinpoint at least several things that we probably did massively wrong for the first 10 or 15 years, or we should well, have like, done. I think also the great thing is we all are still, to this day, we know we don't know it all. <laughs> We're looking to learn more every day. Well, so, I think, Sorry, go on. I mean, I just think that's a huge part, and I think that blows right into, I mean, I can't stress enough for the show, the listener interaction sending in your questions, sending us topics. What do you want to hear about? You know, and... What's yeah, I, help on, us help you. <laughs> go on, Lonnie. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think even people... First of all, I, I people specialize. You know what I mean? Rob has gotten so good at powerlifting, uh, even though he was once a bodybuilder. You know, I mean, I've drifted so far into nutrition and metabolism... Uh, you know, that parts of my exercise phys background I don't use anymore, you know. like In fact, probably a lot of the things that Charles focuses on uh, is light years ahead of what I was doing in grad school because, you know, I, I'm not really into some of the, the uh, you know, biomechanical aspects or some of the, like, uh, muscle activation and things like that and, and all the different training techniques. I mean, I don't use kettlebells, and, you know, I, I'm old school in a lot of the ways that, uh, that I actually lift uh, because of my bodybuilding background. So, I, you know, we all specialize, too, so I'm like Mr. Nutrition Guy now, you know, and that's why no one person can do this. It helps to actually have a kind of a coaching group. Right. Well, it's, it's all just a process of refinement over years and years and years of doing what you do. Um, you know, I mean, I think the longer I train, the more I realize that I don't actually even want to define myself anymore as, you know, whether it be a bodybuilder or a powerlifter. Or, that's why, actually, in the introductions, I just said strength athlete because it becomes less and less important to me to, to to pigeonhole myself as one specific, you know, discipline, you know, of iron, you know, as cheesy as that might sound, you know. I mean, so now when people are like, well, what are your goals? It's just I want to be strong, you know. Um, yeah, I think that's – I think we all – have to be in this day and age multidisciplinary. I mean, we can't ignore the nutrition. We can't ignore various kinds of exercise and, and what they do to us. And uh, too many people put themselves in that box too far. I mean, even to be, I'd argue, the, the greatest strongman or the greatest power lifter or the greatest sprinter, you're going to, those lines get blurred. And you're, you, each athlete's stepping a little bit out of their bounds, and, and finally it helps. Well, do you find that, though? I'm finding things, natural traje- trajectory of anything is to become more and more specific. Yeah, but I think I think at times people get a bit too specific. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I, I, you know what? You guys are talking about something I'm almost sure that Charles was talking about last year, which is walking a fine line between, like, specificity of training and getting enough variety at the same time. Right. Yeah, and I think it's kind of all about, you know, the Pareto principle. And, uh, you know, uh, I think if you're a strength athlete, you know, it, it's not it's it's 
not necessarily uh, worth the time and effort to, to develop a, a, a Lonnie Lowry uh, level expertise of nutrition. Uh, you know, but you, you know, you, you want to know how to approach a Lonnie Lowry and how to get the information out of a guy like that that you need, or maybe how to read a, a research journal. So that's the trick: is just you know, how do you how do you how do you know what you need to know, and and I and and maybe not more than that, and that's that's the tricky part, you know. Right. Um, I think if you're a power lifter, you have injuries all the time, but I don't think that means you want to become a corrective exercise specialist. Right. But you want to know when you need one and what the right questions are to ask when you need one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I that definitely rings true. I mean, the first five years that I was really, I'd consider myself training. I mean, I was delving into mainly the nutrition side and read anything I could and macro this, macro that. And to get stronger, I just had to shut up and do it and start unlearning some of that and just freaking eat. <laughs> to a point, you know, but I benefit from knowing that now. Um, well, you know what? You know, Here's an example. When when you think about just, just eating, you know, and, and getting results, um, Charles, I don't know if this is your quote or not, but I remember you saying last year at, uh, at the summit about how nothing's more anabolic than a calorie. Yeah. And, you know, I was just flipping through one of my advanced nutrition books that I teach from, and it – it says basically that. It says protein synthesis increases by 25% in the fed state. So it's just two <laughs> sides of the same coin, right? I mean, it, it's the whether you go the textbook, you know, you geek out or, or you just state it bluntly and you put it to work right away. Uh, in both cases, you know, it's a good example of how you can apply science and, and you know, there it is. You're, you're bigger, and that's what matters. I think, I think a lot of people are just scared to kind of – Kind of accept what Char- uh, what Phil just said there, as far as because we all know it's true. I mean, you you spend your time thinking, well, you know, I have to eat clean this, like you know, so terribly clean and sterile, and and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, when you when you ditch all the nonsense exercises from from the mass building kind of program that you should be on, and you start eating some food and calories, all of a sudden things start happening. And you said five years, Phil, and I, I think honestly, I think. That was probably about my 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 uh, discovery too. Like five, six, seven years into it, where I was like, "Holy crap! I might just eat a pizza once in a while." Things I, I might actually, you know, get bigger. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, I mean, this is further evidence of that gap between you know science and and, and practice. And uh, you know, when I think back to all, if I think to the top five athletes I've ever worked with, um, they didn't have terrible diets, but. Th- they didn't eat the way that the science textbooks would tell you is optimal by any stretch. They were not, you know, anal retentive about their diets on any level. Um, so <laughs> that's the reality. Well, I've seen, I, I mean, I've sat and ate meals with many of the top bodybuilders, and, and I can tell you that my observations hold firm to what you just said, too. I mean, the diets that they're eating are not the diets that are presented and that are, you know, put forth in the magazines. They really aren't. I mean, that's... Well, you know what? I was, I was just going to say, you can't go through life. I, I know there's a couple of local guys around here, and they're always ripped. But you know what? Now they're in their mid-40s, and they're still small. I mean, I blew past them 20, 30, 40 pounds or more uh, because I started to realize I was in a, a, an energy deficit, you know, and I just needed to take it in. At some point, you've got to get aggressive and just take it in. You know, it's not that the science is wrong. It's just that a lot of people, they're in this ongoing kind of negative energy balance and and uh you know they're carrying around gallons of distilled water all the time and they're munching on little um you know supplement things here and there and i think that's where it goes wrong with the minutiae you know what matters versus what's minutiae that's exactly what it is um i'm it's more in my in my opinion that a clean diet and macro this macro that is great it's when you start stressing about it then it's bad. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if it's actually putting stress in your life, I've got to have exactly this much at 2.15 or I'm going to lose a, you know, a gram of muscle, then mm-hmm. you're losing more by worrying than you are yeah. by yeah. just going and having a cheeseburger. I agree you with know, that. If you can totally relax, eat a clean diet, and have fun and enjoy what you're doing, go yeah. for it. You know, Rob help. and I used to go, we used to go grab a coffee each and a hamburger. Do you remember that, Rob? Yeah. 
we'd grab like two burgers or a, like a Harvey's triple or something like that and pile back some beef and some <laughs> caffeine and get some great workouts doing that kind of stuff. You know, it, it wasn't a $50 canister of, uh, of a powder or something in particular. So, yeah, there's you've got to distinguish. The biggest downfall I've seen nowadays is kids just starting, and they're worried about the minutia, like you said, Lonnie. Yeah, they not everybody can have the, perfect. Yeah, the oiled-up six-pack like Fortress Sports all the time. Exactly. <laughs> we, don't all, we don't all have access to, like, baby seals and, and whale meat. <laughs> That's too funny. Well, no, I mean, um, it's true. My my whole kind of guideline, and again, I'm not a nutrition guy by any stretch, but I've always told people, you know, try as best you can to take in everything they say, and then throw a couple of hamburgers and some pizzas on top of it. But the problem is, is that drugs have kind of, you know, really perverted what young people see as how the, the you know the normal things that are going to happen if you do go the natural route, which is you're going to put some fat on with muscle. I mean, what is the saying? You put on fat with muscle and lose muscle with fat. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's inevitable. I mean, the only way that guys are getting you know considerably bigger, but holding on to you know what would be considered today a tight condition, is is with is with drugs. Really, I mean, it, it's it's not. I always say to people all the time. I mean, if you want to. If you want to put some muscle on, you're just going to have to accept the fact that you're probably going to put some fat on, too. You know, I, I can't tell you how many uh, NCAA athletes come to me. I had one just this morning, in fact. Um, they come and they want to put on some lean weight, but, you know, they need to realize, and they're almost disappointed, right? We live we live in such a, a society of hyperbole and exaggeration from the pictures that they see on the magazines to what they're told in, in you know, different kinds of supplement ads or diet books or whatever. But they want to put on some lean weight. When I say, well, you know, in a home run situation, we could probably get like a 70-30 lean to fat gain ratio for you. You know, and they're like, you know, wow, well, I want to get big and ripped at the same time. It's like, well, you know, good luck with that, bro, because you're looking at dudes on the covers of magazines, you know, that are using um, anabolic steroids and growth hormone at the same time. And, you know, you can see their serratus pop out while they're eating a dozen powdered donuts. Right. So, it, you know, it's not the same. It's not the same thing. Well, and again, I think I think all the performance-enhancing drugs and just the, the the massive proliferation of them has just cast such a massive fog over the reality of what what's really going you can expect and what's going to happen. That I mean, it's just it's just perverted everything. And then the supplement companies got in, you know, into it, and they start throwing their own fog, you know, blanket over everything. And before you know it, you have what's what's become of it now. It's true. And, you know, I think consumers need to consider, too, whether you're a coach or an athlete or whatever, diet books uh, are right up there. You know, dietary supplements get a lot of heat, but diet books have their reader hook as well, you know, a point that's exaggerated as your problem, you know, or this is what you need. And although there's usually truth to a reader hook, you've really got to get used to reading these books with a grain of salt. You know, what can I glean from this book? And where does this degrade into a sales pitch, or where does it become too much of a proprietary system, and if I just send in my 1995, it's all good? You know what I mean? So diet books are uh, can very much parallel, I think, the supplement market as far as the uh, the exaggerative claims and everything. And, and a lot of these athletes, they just need to get appreciative of the reality. You know, I mean, if, you, if you're an intermediate and you can put on two or three pounds of uh, lean weight over the course of a month, and you feel good and you're energized. Wow, you should really be digging on that, you know. Instead of oh man, I I only put on two or three pounds this month. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like you see when you go to some of these message boards. I won't mention specific ones, but there's one that's very popular and that's kind of renowned for having its fair share of you know um, put downs and criticisms and you know guffaws over there. But I mean. You know, some guy who was on there, and he's all jazzed about putting some weight on, and he, he posts his picture, and the first thing that happens is he, he gets, you know, in, in internet speak, gets flamed for the next ten, you know, for the next ten pages about, yeah. wow, you're fat, and this guy is certainly not fat. Oh, there you go. <laughs> hey, speaking of a kernel of truth, you guys want to hear a question that somebody emailed me yesterday? Let's hear it. Um, recently in recently in class. We have studied the effect of oxygen and our blood flow. 
Lack of oxygen <laughs> leads to fatigue. Blood saturated leads to extended time of energy. Uh, anybody want to guess where this is going? All right, here it comes. I want to incorporate a D-size oxygen tank with me to the gym in my <gasps> weightlifting. Okay. Once to start oh, breathing I... oxygen 10 minutes before Boy. my workout, breathe throughout the whole workout and 10 minutes after, will this have an effect on my performance? Wow. <laughs> and it, it's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of like the the classic truism, that, you know, while it is true that if you don't have enough oxygen, uh, that will impair your performance, but uh, the problem is is that once you have enough, uh, more doesn't help. And, uh, yeah, right. Uh, that's, it's that's, like... That that applies to nutrition and supplementation uh, in, in a big way too. Mm-hmm. You know that that uh, student needs to. One of the things he he needs to go back to the beginning of that chapter and see that blood is ninety eight percent saturated. You know your hemoglobin is ninety eight percent saturated yeah. with oxygen. So, yeah. it, like what you're saying, so you're going to try to stuff in a little more. Um, yeah. You know that's like putting a seventh sil- uh, spark plug in a six cylinder engine. Yeah. It's, well, it's I told them to go for it. <laughs> it's not going to work. Yeah, I told them to go for it and. Uh, <laughs> You know, I I would have to think that you would think that just um, you, you know just the, uh, the the feeling of being self conscious you know like how you know if I'm just trying to picture if you're on the bench like with an oxygen tank how all that works and stuff but um, you'd think that alone would keep them from doing it but I just told them to go for it. <laughs> to, hell, to hell with the explosion risk. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I don't think the risk is high. You know, I just. So, uh, you know, I'll let you know when he writes back. But you know what? I mean, this is the same kind of stuff, too. You know, we can do some good-natured ribbing here, but I was a stupid teenager once once upon a time, you know, and I'm not saying that that person was necessarily, but you you get my point is that people just need straight talk. They need some straight talk so they're not wasting hundreds of dollars on hokey stuff, you know. I I belong to a gym here in Toronto uh, about 10 years ago. And there was a very short-lived oxygen bar that was implemented at the front. Really? And they did, and they you wouldn't they you paid your money however much it was, and you sat around. They stuck the thing in your nose, and you sat there and sucked in oxygen. And I, very nice. And I was like, this, yeah, it was it was a little. Much. Is it just me, or in in the in the young generation coming up, is there um, is is the concept of evidence? Uh, becoming scarcer and scarcer. It's just when I talk to people <laughs> under 25 years old today, it just seems like um, their their concept of evidence is is very fuzzy. And um, and Lonnie, this must be something that that must be on your mind constantly. I mean, I was just there was there was a there was a panel on Larry King the other night debating UFOs, and um, it just in a certain way is is just hysterical because there is not. And nor has there ever been a speck of evidence for life elsewhere. I mean, I happen to believe that the chances are probably pretty good that there there is life elsewhere, but nonetheless, there's not a speck of evidence, so that's the end of the conversation. But, you know, they got a good hour of debate out of it. You know, Charles, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I just did – by the way, uh, Iron Radio has a contributor uh, section where listeners can actually record themselves do, uh, and – if you go to that particular page of the Iron Radio website, uh, oh, by the way, it's www.ironradio.org. Uh, but if they do that, they can make a little kind of verbal editorial. And I just did one on how credulous and gullible people are. It's almost like a return to the Dark Ages, you know, where almost anything is considered valid evidence, you know. And I, I'm constantly reminding people, you know, go with a consensus. In the literature, you know, the more studies point in one direction, the better. Or not just studies, but incorporate along with that your personal experiences and things that you've seen and what's worked for you, you know, because nutritionally, genetically, you're different. And But absolutely, uh, the evidence thing is uh, we are in a train wreck as a society. People have to be more incredulous, more critical-minded because um, – you know what? And it's a vulnerable group. Athletes want to believe. Absolutely. Yep. And I, I mean, I think that evidence. I mean, it, that was evident at the last ISSN. I mean, on on both ways. I mean, they were presenting evidence, but then there was the resounding theme afterwards in the panel discussion. They were like, "But if it works, you know, do it." <laughs> in the end, 
you know, science is going to say this and this, but you got to lend on personal experience, too. Mm-hmm. And, well, and what I people think around you know works. There's a whole field now of nutritional genomics, right, which is basically people respond to different nutrients differently. And we're in the early stages already of people getting kind of mouth swabs and, you know, basically getting small DNA samples and figuring out uh, a handful of nutrients and whether or not you'll respond to them. Now, there's a lot of hokey stuff going around already about uh, people jumping the gun and trying to set up nutrition programs based on DNA. And I'm here to tell readers or listeners it's too soon, you know, to go get this stuff done, like have a whole diet set up based on your a cheek swab, you know, from the inside of your mouth. But it's going to happen. Uh, it might be 10 years down the road. And for certain nutrients, we already know, like folate. Um, there are substances like caffeine that are key examples. Some people respond to them differently than others, you know. So the thing to think about with, with research studies, at least, whether it's fitness or nutrition, is that those are averages of fairly big groups of people, you know. So on average, people do or don't benefit from, say, creatine you know, or, or whatever. Um, however, you may be an outlier genetically for certain things, and you may respond to something that, you know, a study otherwise on average does not reveal. Mm-hmm. So that's right. You've got to incorporate all these different, uh, you know, practical and uh, empirical kinds of evidence. Uh, that kind of goes going back the same same thing, but going into training. I mean, it's kind of like take something that works. Like a squat, you know, or something that works like protein. We we would all agree, I think, that you need to squat. But how you squat, you know, some people might respond better to heavy singles. Some people might, 20 rep squats are going to explode, you know, or five by five, you know. Each person responds a little differently, but you use the basic tools. Right. And figure out how they work best for you. Right. I mean, I think that's the, the challenge, though, for most of these people who are less, you know, experienced than we might be is to find that bridge between, because we've all seen the guy in the gym that we've tried to help because we, it was clear that they had no no clue what they were doing, and they would tell you, well, this is what I've been doing for two years, and it works for me. But but meanwhile, the guy benches 140 pounds, and he's, you know, 160 pounds fat. So, but there's also the side of the coin that I always say where, within reason, if you believe enough in what you're doing, there's a good chance it might might actually produce some results. So there's got to be yeah. oh yeah there's got to be a, again that kind of like fine line where you're kind of finding that middle ground between those two two ways of thinking. Um, that's another thing that's big nowadays is everybody questions too much. They they pick something to do but they're constantly questioning. If you're going to pick something to do, pick it and do it. Do it. Yeah. Question it when you're done. Do a program for four weeks and don't question it until you're done. When you got the results, then question. It. But if you're questioning it during, you're not given what you should That's to get the point. results that are possibly good. Yeah, we're sort of ADD in that way, I think, as Americans in general, you know, that we we switch gears so often and we get distracted and, and move on tangents so often that we don't just – it's just like with being satisfied with realistic gains. You know, you've also got to be – patient enough to try something and, and give it a chance. I mean, the body doesn't change in a, in three or four days, you know, dramatically, or even in, in a few weeks, uh, and, and we're kind of ADD like that. Well, you hear that all the time when you ask people in the gym, you know, like, you know, I've done some personal training, and you, like, what are your goals? What do you want? You know, and, and the, the answers are more often than not so wishy-washy and so, you know, watery that's just, it's like, listen, we we, we got to determine exactly what you want to do here. You know, you can't just be kind of like like Lonnie says. You can't just be shooting all always, but you know, not staying on on track with one thing. I mean, what do you want to do? Stick with something, work it hard, give it give it its appropriate period of time, and then see how it did. If you're all over the place, well, I have a friend actually who's every month he changes what he wants to do. I'm leaving out this week this month. The next month I want to get my squat bigger, and the next month. I'm not running as far as I want to go. Then the next month, well, I need to be leaner again. Well, I'm going to let me. And he keeps doing this, and he he's never getting anywhere. I've known the guy for 10 years, and he hasn't gotten anywhere. So That sounds like a seminar I did once. <laughs> but it didn't go anywhere? Well, you know, I did a talk one. I have a talk that I did. I can't remember when, you know, 
and and the title is what what's the difference between you and an Olympic athlete? And uh, the conclusion was it's it's really not genetics or drugs or work ethic or luck or it's really that that they just stick at something until it starts working and you just do a different program every month because that's the you know a physical learning curve is approximately 30 days uh, long and uh, that's when you start hitting a plateau and most people don't have the stomach for any kind of a plateau and it and and it's hard i mean it's uh you know i i i told a client of mine last week that that uh i put 6 pounds on my olympic snatch this year now it, it's a little bit of a different scenario i'm 50 years old and everything but um i snatched generally twice a week which means that it took me over 100 snatch workouts to put 6 pounds on my snatch okay yeah. you know most people don't have the stomach for that no that, that's a damn good point actually I mean, yeah, I mean patience is something that comes with experience, you know. I, I tell people all the time. I mean, if you wanted to be truly strong, whether or not you know, again, you're a weightlifter, a weightlifter, or a powerlifter, or whatever, you know, the iron sports, the the disciplines of strength, it's, it's, it's that's not a pursuit to pursue if you don't have the stomach to use your words, Charles. To, to stick with it, and not not stick with it for a year or two or five years, but stick with it for a long time, you know, and it's, it's, it doesn't come fast. Well, and there's something to be said, too. Charles mentioned being 50, but being an advanced athlete, we also need to consider, too, that we're closer to our genetic limits, you know. And I don't like the idea of carved and stone genetic limits, you know, but um, there's little doubt that we're focusing on nuances you know, uh, degrees of rotation in a movement or, you know, uh, things that are much more, uh, uh, I don't know, incremental. Because well, once you're advanced, you're just that much closer to your genetic maximum. You know, beginners can expect to do things like put on 20 pounds of lean mass in a year. But, you know, if that happened to me, I'd be afraid I had some kind of, I don't know, tumor or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in all honesty, if if I, like, it's the beginning of '09 right now. If I put like 20 pounds on my snatch next year, yeah, I would. I'd probably have a, a full physical just to see what was wrong. Yeah, oh, it was right. Yeah. yeah. But well, that, that being what. said, you know, that being said, I won't. I I, I won't count against uh, the possibility of it happening. But you know, it'd be surprising. That's right. Well, you guys got to keep keep it open. This, the the 700 attempt I'm making here in two weeks. That's been my goal. For two and a half years. Yeah, and that's I was a big within, I was at six seventy-five. So I've been aiming to put twenty-five pounds on it two and a half for years. two and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think it needs to be said though that the further away you get away from the norm, and the the, the closer you get to otherworldly performance feats, the margin for um, underperforming greatly get larger. I don't know if this, if that makes any sense. Um, okay, we'll use a squat. Um, the more you squat, the, high, the, the more weight you squat when you start leaving the stratosphere of what the typical person is doing, the, the further you're going to be away from getting to that point routinely, if that makes any sense. I mean, somebody who squats 300 pounds can probably squat 300 pounds mo most workouts. But somebody who squats, who, set, who sets a mark of 800 pounds on the squat, is probably not going to be able to get to that. It's no, really it's a, it's a very occasional occurrence. Exactly. It's what it's, All the stars have to be aligned just right. Thank you. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah so it, very just becomes, it just becomes, as you become more and more capable, you become less and less capable of doing that with any degree of frequency. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, and that comes, I think that comes with anything. I mean, I like to say it's a... Uh, it's really easy to be average. It's damn hard to suck really bad. And it's damn hard to be excellent. You got to try to do either. Right. You know, I've been obese and I've been extremely ripped, and I worked hard to be either. You know, I look back now and I was eating like a pig. You know, I was trying real hard to be sloppy and fat. Right. Very, very overweight. Successfully and clues. <laughs> you know. And it's if you want to be, you know, if you're. If, if somebody can't squat their body weight, 
they're trying real hard to not be able to squat their own self. You know, they're doing a lot to not be able to do it. A lot of nothing. Right. And right. the same thing in the other direction. You know, you want to squat eight, nine hundred pounds, you've got to step out of the box and work real damn hard for a long time. Well, I mean, you can use the analogy of, you know, high-performance cars, whether it be race cars or just, you know, street models that you can buy for a million dollars. I mean, these cars perform at such a level, but at the same time, if you want them to maintain that, you know, you, you constantly have to be fine-tuning the engine. And you, you can't just leave it like you would, like, you know, buy an average, you know, SUV, and it, it runs well, and it runs well all the time with minimal uh, maintenance, you know. I mean, if you... So, as Lonnie was saying before, when you're talking about somebody who's closer to their p- potential, I mean, you know, these little things become important because these are the things that kind of allow you to st- still train within, you know, the realm of what you need to be trained within to kind of push yourself that, you know, hair's breadth closer to your potential versus somebody who's, you know, new, hasn't really gotten anywhere and, you know, just put, you know, 80 pounds in their squat in their first year. It, right. it, it just becomes more and more important to kind of concentrate on these things because you become more of a fine-tuned machine. Well, guess what? You have to keep fine-tuning yourself and what you do to kind of stay within those parameters. And, and be grateful for like, The power analogy is a great one because it's just like, I mean, you get advanced in strength sports or anything to do with nutrition and, and training, and there's there's more little things that can go wrong that you're constantly fixing. I don't know a lifter that's not battling some kind of injury. Yeah, all the time. You're never 100%. And that's something you have to accept. You know, that you see guys out there, the elite guys on the football field, on the platform, wherever, they don't feel good all the time. They're battling something all the time. But they accept that because they love what they're doing. They stick to it for years. No, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, Ed Cohn um, once said, somebody was saying about injury, and he said, I, I, I can't recall when I was ever not trained with an injury. At least, yeah, at least one. You know, it's it's because you're pushing yourself at such the you know the outer limits of of capability that you're always you know as Lonnie always you know him and I Lonnie and I talk about all the time you're you're kind of just always flirting with that you know that potential for catastrophic injury and hopefully you know nine times out of ten hopefully if you're smart you don't get to that point but you're always got something nagging at you you always have something nagging. That's why I film every set now. I'm just waiting to be a YouTube star. One of these days, something's going to blow. Yes. YouTube star. (laughs) All right, listen. We have covered the gamut of topics here. Now we're on to YouTube. But, you know, I think it's a good idea. At least I think listeners have a good idea where each of us are coming from here. So, you know, as we start off every show, we'll we'll do some intros, and then we'll talk shop. And, um and by the way, uh, then we'll do like a, a segment two or, a, you know, a move on to something like either in the news or we'll do a, a top three where we all toss in our, well, three cents, I guess, <laughs> on different topics. Uh, and we'll have guest speakers uh, on these programs. We'll have uh, some people call in with questions. Uh, I was going to go on to do some nutrition stuff. Uh, we've been going for about over 40 minutes, though. So I, I'm going to keep it brief. I, I just want to do something very quick uh, and just give a little in the news when it comes to nutrition. There's uh, some very cool stuff that I've been reading lately about medium-chain triglycerides. And people who have been around the, the weight sports for a while, they know about MCTs. Uh, they've had a undulating popularity, I think, with consumers because early, back in the 80s, It was really exciting because medium-chain triglycerides, if you're not familiar, they're shorter in chemical structure than regular fats, and they get into the bloodstream very quickly. And the idea was, hey, you know, this stuff could be a great pre-workout fuel. We could consume these things maybe along with some carbohydrates and and have, you know, tremendous endurance and extra fuel in the blood. And and that just never really panned out very well. Um, But the reason for this news blurb is there's some recent research coming out of Japan uh, I'm looking in front of me right now. There's a this Takeuchi and his colleagues, but they they did a nice little review, and I'm going to read you this this quote here about medium chain fat. Their interest is not just about performance, but uh, more about body recompositioning. So here it is: medium chain fatty acids have attracted attention as being part of a healthy diet because they are absorbed directly into the portal vein transported rapidly to the liver for burning, and thus increased diet-induced thermogenesis. So we hear a lot about thermogenics, of course. 
Uh, in contrast, long-chain fats are absorbed via the uh, lymphatic ducts and transported through chylomicrons into the rest of the circulation. Because medium-chain triglycerides, or MCT, uh, because those containing solely medium-chain fats have a few disadvantages, and I can tell you by experience one of those is digestive, um, when used for deep frying or other issues, uh, they've developed a new product or a new um, uh, food substance. It's a medium and long-chain triglyceride. So what they're doing here is, and Phil and I have gone back and forth with this a little bit lately, structured fats. So what these are, they're regular fats, but they'll pluck off uh, one of the fatty acids. So you think of a triglyceride molecule as having like a, a three branches on it. They pluck one off or even two off, and they replace those long-chain fatty acids with some shorter ones, with some medium-chain ones. Uh, and then you can get some very cool benefits, like we said here, uh, less likely to be stored as body fat, more likely to be burned for energy, uh, and so that's very cool stuff. And again, a lot of this stuff is coming out of Japan, this renewed interest in, in MCTs. Um, I'm just going to re very quickly point out uh, this article, Phil, that you gave me, which is, uh, this is Osborne and ACO. It's a structured lipids uh, article. And they're actually talking about how they're starting to genetically modify crops to have uh, different fat content. So you're going to start seeing all different things like high... Uh, monounsaturated types of fats coming from plants that don't normally make it. Um, you're going to see things like mixed, medium, and long-chain fats all together in one oil that's easier to digest but gives you some you know, body composition advantages. So stay tuned. Uh, one of my interests is, is special fats, so definitely stay tuned for this because between what Phil gave me on structured triglycerides and what I'm reading from the uh, Japanese researchers, there's a real renewed interest in this stuff. Uh, well, I definitely and that's thought you had a handle on fats, and now this stuff comes out, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, Charles, did you go through a period where you were buying, like, uh, little pints of MCT oil and stuff? Do you ever do that? Uh, many years ago I was doing that for a little bit, yep. I did that back in the early 90s to help me gain weight. And, you know, now with some of the new research that comes out, it looks like I was on the right track. I shouldn't have stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yes, cool well, stuff. So I, what, I think... Wasn't that what John Perillo was? Hot yes. Do you remember yeah. that? The Perillo MCTs? He was big into that. Yeah, he had like... And there was like jugs of the stuff. Yeah. Yep. Right. It's not the kind of thing you do in capsule form. It's definitely, uh, you know, by the tablespoon. You know, now I should point out though that if anybody gets excited and takes some MCT oil, don't consume more than about 20 grams at a time until you're sure you can digest that because you'll end up with diarrhea. I was so. going to say, make sure you're close to a toilet. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was well done. I have to say, I mean, you yeah, put the right button there. Put this guy with the button, you know, finger on the button, and that's what's going to happen. Oh boy! Um, we want to entertain a question here. Sure, if we have one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I shoot this one at Charles first. Yes. Uh, do you think there's a carryover from the hang clean to keg and stone loading? Oh, Take it away, Phil. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, actually, not much of one. Not much of one. Uh, you're applying force vertically in both directions, but uh, that's about where the similarity ends. So uh, I'd uh, say the same thing. Um, I think the clean helped me in my deadlift some, learning that. Um, I think the only place the hand clean would really help, I mean, if you have a problem really firing, firing your hips and glutes, it's kind of the same move um, to load that stone up. But the loading parameters are, are totally different. It's not as explosive as a move. It's more maximal strength. Um, you know, it's funny sometimes no. when you um, when you analyze a question like that, the first thing that the first thing that crossed my mind is, "Hi, huh, I wonder if uh, lifting Atlas stones would help my hand clean." <laughs> and the answer to that was no, pretty quickly. So that's that's what kind of you know. Sometimes looking at the reverse scenario is the best way to get to the truth of those things. Um, for me, uh, kegs and stones, aside from doing them themselves. Uh, Bringing my stiff-legged deadlift up, uh, doing things like zerchers. The zerchers much more close. Um, a real zercher off the floor is almost identical, but it's a little more uh, manageable in a gym situation. 
you, you, know, you pretty much deadlift, upset it on your knees, get your arms under it, and it's it's a lot the same. You you uh you do some wicked weight with that, Phil. With what? The Zercher squat. Zercher? Yeah. I know I got to do it again, but I'm waiting until after this meet. I want to push up and get that 500 with the Zercher. We're we're coming back to a YouTube here. There's some guys on YouTube doing some crazy stuff on there with that. Oh no. And that was from Jason Oiler in Topeka, by the way. Yeah, um, Phil can Zercher more than what most people can deadlift off the floor. So uh, <laughs> I know it's crazy. <laughs> Give us some numbers, Phil. Give us some numbers. Nothing to the only thing I got's a deadlift, man. I got a strong back and ass, and that's about it. So <laughs> good to know. <laughs> I'll make a note of that. <laughs> Everything else is coming along. I'm coming back from some knee injuries, so I. I Doubled 500 in the squat the other day and screwed up my shoulder in the last meet, so bench is coming back. Good. Do we have any more questions or anything, or we want to wrap this up for the first episode? I think we're going to wrap it up, I guess. Um, a couple more things to mention. Just uh, stop by the discussion forums. You can you can link to it straight off of the ironradio.org. Um, it goes to the team's daily forums. You can go on there and check out the upcoming shows and guests. Um there's a forum for each show. Like, as this show's over, you can go discuss it, anything you want. We'll try and get on there and, and answer any questions you may have from the, the previous shows. Um, again, it shows all the guests. Uh, next week is uh, David Barr. And the topic will be Why You're Not Lean. Yeah. In and fact, you know what? I, I just wanted to toss in. I think let's rephrase that question a little. And let's have a discussion on how to get really fat. How about okay, that? Yeah. It'll just make it a little more fun. I think uh, I could contribute good. enormously to that uh, discussion. So uh, that'll be <laughs> good. Like the, I want to start a show, and I want to make your biggest gainer. Not the biggest <laughs> loser, but the biggest gainer. And really there you go. Up. Yeah. All right. All right. So that's, that's, that's about it. I think that's it. Well, bye, everybody. See you later. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Uh, thanks a lot, guys and gals. Okay, Phil, I'm motioning the cut motion across my neck now. <laughs> yeah.